As we come to Judges chapter 14, we come to, we're just going to read a couple of verses tonight from the 14th chapter. And on Tuesday, we actually read three chapters from the book of Judges pertaining to the life of Samson. Chapter 13 was the Lord appearing to Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, who had been barren, to declare to her that she was going to have this child. She was going to have this I guess, really, a miracle child. And he was called to be a Nazarite, which means he was going to be separated from his womb to the Lord in a very special way. In the Old Testament, prior to this, in the law, we saw that the Nazarite was one, uh, was a choice by a man, as we understand it, to choose to abstain from uh, alcohol, touching a dead body, and shaving their hair. And they would consecrate themselves to the Lord for a period of time, and then they would shave their hair, and that'd be like a, an offering to the Lord. And it's just a way of saying, like, hey, I'm going to do some special things with the Lord. I want to consecrate my thoughts, my calendar, my schedule, and to just draw closer to the Lord. And we talked about that in detail on Tuesday night. But in the case of Samson, he was called to be a Nazarite before he was ever born. It's just that predetermined plan that God had for his life. And even while his mom was pregnant, she was to be like a Nazarite. She was essentially a, a female Nazarite vow while carrying the child who was to be a Nazarite. So we know that he was set apart from the very beginning, before he was even conceived, his announcement proclaimed by the Lord, much like John the Baptist or even Jesus himself. And we know also in the end of chapter 13 that the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon the child. And remember in the Old Testament that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people at different times, but he didn't indwell believers like he does when you give your life to Christ and you're born again when you're born from above by the Spirit of God coming to indwell us. Then in chapters 14 and 15, we get the heart of Samson's life where he's an adult male. He, he goes after this Philistine woman to be his wife, and all these events happen that are pretty tragic events, actually. And then it runs its course, and then there's a summary of his life, really, in the end of chapter 15, where it says that he, he judged Israel for 20 years. And then what comes after that in chapter 16, we'll get to in a couple of weeks, is his whole final chapter with Delilah, where Delilah takes him down with the Philistine lords, and it's a bad ending. Most of us are pretty familiar with the story of Samson. So we have the announcement of his birth, then we have these events of chapters 14 and 15, with his wedding, this woman he loved, and all these things that happened that went in a bad way. And then the summary of his life, the last verse of chapter 15, that he judged Israel for 20 years, and then the details of his ending, his final days, his final season with Delilah and all that happened after that. So we're looking at the life of Samson, and we've seen quite a few different judges so far, insignificant judges and more profound judges. And Samson is a very profound judge. He's unique in the book of Judges that he was called to be a Nazarite before he was born. And there's a lot we can look at Samson's life that would be both positive and negative that we can learn from. It is very unique. And so tonight we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 14 that introduce us to him as an adult and the events that happen in his life as a, as a man in the, the peak of his physical strength, we'd say the strength of his youth. And, and we read this in verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? 
And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he, the Lord, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This is the whole background to these two chapters. And all of our application is in these verses, but also carries over into these two chapters of 14 and 15. This is actually one of those passages of scripture that you might have hear someone call into pastor's perspective or Bible answer man type of a show like, well, wait a second. How, if Samson goes after a Philistine woman, that would never be God's will. It's contrary to God's law, his revealed word. So when we say that he did so and his father and mother didn't know that was of the Lord, that the Lord was in it, it becomes a perplexing sort of passage. It really brings us to these thoughts that are macro things when we think about the Lord. The things that we, if you think and you stop and think about certain things in your life, your purpose, the value of your life, the value of every life, history, the future, eternity, all these things. When you think about God in general, there's going to be so much that we do understand because it's revealed in God's word, and there's so much that we don't understand. And when you look at a text like this, you say, okay, well, there's clearly free will in this four verses. Samson has a free will. He's called to be a Nazarite, and he's called to be set apart for the Lord. So how is it that a guy that's been raised his whole life to be set apart for the Lord, consecrated for the Lord, not to touch a dead body, to be totally set apart, not to drink any alcohol, How is it that this guy, out of all the beautiful women in Israel, who would be equally yoked, that is, of the same faith, the people of covenant, how is it that this guy has to fall in love or be drawn to a Philistine woman? That's the question his parents asked him. You're like, of all the beautiful girls you went to at your Christian school, why do you got to go after this girl that you met at the club? You know, that's pretty much like the context of what, you know, what, what would be understood here like dad's like going son like all that we did for you like why like why why i mean you're a nazarite like you've majored in the you've majored in these majors and you've minored in the minors for being set apart your whole life how can you not see that this is this is the most obvious thing that would be contrary to god's will in your life in fact we know the reason that the judges existed in the cycle of sin in the book of judges is because the children of israel repeatedly broke God's law, which included intermarrying with the Canaanites and the Amorites and the people of that land. They repeatedly, instead of being sanctified, they gave their daughters to the men of the land, the Canaanites, who then stumbled their daughters to go after Canaanite gods. And then they gave their women, so they gave their daughters to the men and their men to the daughters. And God said, you will not elevate them in their unbelief and their false gods. They will degenerate you in their false gods. You're not going to elevate them to Jehovah. They're going to degenerate you to Dagon, the fish god, and Chamosh, the bully god. That's what's going to happen. And we know during this 400-year history of Israel between 1500 B.C. 
1100 BC, the time of the judges, that the cycle of the judges is the reason there is a judge is because the people of Israel rebel against God, they intermarry, they worship the false gods, they do all the wrong things, and then God gives them over, a foreigner or the people within conquer them and they're subject to them. They can't take it anymore. They cry out to the Lord. God gives them a deliverance, a judge. He casts off the yoke of their oppressors. In this case, it's the Philistines. It's been the Amorites, the Moabites, and the Midianites. We've seen that already in the book of Judges. And there's a revival, and the people get right with the Lord. So they, don't longer, they no longer give their daughters to the Canaanite men. They, they, they no longer give their sons to the Canaanite daughters. So when you come to this text, you're like, oh my goodness, this kid's been set apart for over two decades. His entire lifetime of education is not to be, as we said Tuesday night, a great sports star, a great business mind, or this and that. He is set apart for a spiritual purpose. So how can our son who's set aside for a spiritual purpose get right here to the edge of his calling and want a Philistine woman to be his wife? That would be so exasperating for the parents, by the way. I mean, and we're an older congregation, so we can be transparent about this. This is just exasperating. And for you younger people, you're like, I don't get it. Well, someday you might. But this is your parents' worst nightmare. That you would marry out of the faith and degenerate the blessings that you grew up with in your household. And choose that. Because if you choose Chamosh, the bully god, you live in a bully marriage. Or Dagon, the fish god, it stinks. But all, they'll never satisfy. Or Ashtoreth, unbridled lust, that, that doesn't work well in a marriage. It doesn't have a good ending. So here we have the free will of Samson, clearly, definitively disobeying God's word and even doing the very thing that brought the chastening of the Philistines in the first place. And yet, we're told that his parents didn't understand that this was of the Lord. What was of the Lord? That Samson would go after a Philistine woman. It's like, put that in your theology box. Okay? That it was of the Lord because God was seeking a chance to move against the Philistines. In other words, he's going to use Samson's lust for good to bring about judgment on the Philistines who are under his wrath. That is the theological mathematic equation in this entire thing, because it's very clear from the scriptures, that's exactly what happened. Which has us thinking things like, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, but the secret things belong to the Lord. It has us thinking like the cross. Who put Jesus on the cross? Did the Jewish leaders put Jesus on the cross? Did Satan put Jesus on the cross? Or did the Father put Jesus on the cross? David's census. It says that David took... It says that Satan moved David to take a census. And it brought chasing on Israel. But then we're also told that God moved David to take the census. Now David condemns himself calls himself a sinner, and he behaved foolishly when he took the census. It's sort of like in the book of Habakkuk, 
Whereas Habakkuk's complaining about everything going wrong in his generation. The Babylonians have come to power. They're oppressing the people. It's a dark day. And he's like, oh, it's just terrible. The wicked prevail. And God's like, that's nothing. I'm going to do a work in your day that will declare to you, you would not believe it. Habakkuk 1.5. So what this really brings us to, listen, is there's always a bigger picture than any of us ever know. There's always so much more going on in God's universe from the farthest galaxy with a million stars in it to the hairs on your head than what we think we know. And that's why I say so often, let God be true and every man a liar. We don't, we don't know anything. What is man? We're but a speck of dust. What is man? His life is but a vapor. Old Testament. What is man? His life is but a vapor. New Testament. We come and we go. You have self-determination in the human experience for sure. You have God's sovereignty over the human experience for sure. Because every promise is going to come to pass. And as it says in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed? As if they're going to stop Christ from coming back. They are not. And you just have this bigger picture that's so beyond our comprehension to fully understand. And that seems so appropriate in December 2021. Because we want to compartmentalize things. We want to understand things. We want to control things. Or we want, to, we want to understand completely God's sovereignty that it's in line with how we think he should be working at all times. I'm for free will when I get to exercise my free will the way I want. And self-determination. I'm for God's sovereignty when it's how I like it to look and work in my life. I like it when I win the pipe masters because God's sovereign and gave me every good wave and I, won my, I live my dream. I'm for God's sovereignty when it works for my glory or my health or my wealth. I'm not so sure I'm for God's sovereignty when I'm afflicted and I'm losing things. I'm not so sure I like God's sovereignty working that way. And I would like to understand God's sovereignty when it is working that way. I like all things work together for good to those who love God and are called in court to his purposes. But I don't really like as much the other part who are being conformed to the express image of Jesus. Now, I think, oh, I want to be like Jesus, but not if it means a beatdown. Not if it means sorrow and heartache and pain and suffering. But when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and you read about Paul's apostleship and about how all the hardships he went through brought forth the glory of Christ from him, that the kingdom advanced through him. So he can say, the God of all comfort who comforts us, that we might comfort others. And that's that area that we don't get. We can say, if we're wise, we can say self-determination, personal choice, plus sovereignty equals things I understand. But that third equal is not there. We can say on a chalkboard, free will plus sovereignty both exist equals what? It equals all these things in our life that we don't fully understand. We're told in Romans that God's ways and his truths and his judgments are so unsearchable. They're so past our finding out. And when you read these four verses that introduce to us the life, the adult life, the apex flashpoint of Samson's life, they're stunning. Especially after the previous chapter. They're stunning. 
that his entire life was trained to make the right decision. And here on the biggest decision you can make, who to marry, he makes an obvious wrong decision. Self-determination, yet the parents didn't know it was of the Lord. Sovereignty to bring about judgment on the Philistines. That area of God doing stuff that's just out of our wheelhouse. So we can say self-determination, sovereignty, and out of your wheelhouse. Because God's running the universe, not you or me. Or anyone that came before us, anyone that's coming after us. It's all his. From the dawn of creation, the coming of the kingdom. In fact, there in Acts chapter 1, it will be in Acts next year, when Jesus said, you know, he was in his glory and he was with the apostles, and they said, oh, are you, are you going to establish the kingdom now? And he goes, it's not for you to know when I'm going to establish the kingdom. That's the third part of this equation. Yours is to be my witnesses when I give you power. So this study, this topic is a much bigger topic than just Samson's failures or his parents' heartache or his wife's bad decisions and all the consequences. It really is self-determination, which comes from God, not from government. It really is sovereignty that's bigger than the human experience, and it really is a far grander picture of your life, my life, in our timeline, in the human experience for all eternity. So as we think about this, personal choices, the sovereignty of God, and a bigger picture. Let's think about the self-determination for a minute. Because if God gives us self-determination, that's the most basic foundational principle and right of human existence, is self-determination. Love always has a choice. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is a choice. The tree of life, to have that fellowship with the Lord, or to reject that with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And throughout the Bible, all the way to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, Revelation of Jesus Christ, there are choices that are made. And we can choose to love the Lord and obey the Lord, or we can choose not to obey the Lord. But we have to understand that in our creation, and even in the ability to accept or reject Christ, we have self-determination. Even Jesus said to Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a mother and her chicks, but you were not willing. So while we understand that God has predestination and election and foreknowledge, we also understand that Jesus said he wanted to, but you were not willing. So even if there's 99.9% of sovereignty and 0.001% of free will, the free will still has its place to resist God. Love has to have a choice. And thus we are self-determined. And this is a foundational element in our very existence in God's universe, not man's. Because the highest government over men is God, the kingdom of God. And God decrees a self-determination of personal choice. Now, we know human history is human governments subjecting other people to one, to one another and subjecting them in a deprivation of sovereignty, personal so- sovereignty and self-determination and choices. 
But God created us with choice. So Samson has a choice. You can call him a Nazarite before he's even conceived. You can have him, you can raise him properly for two generations, two decades. And you can try and steer him toward Rachel and Sarah and Elizabeth and all the godly women in your village. But in the end, if he's going to lust after a woman in Timnah of the Philistines, what are you going to do? You can raise him right, and he goes away to college. And he doesn't, he's, not, he's not attracted to Sarah and Rachel and Elizabeth. He's attracted to her, Delilah. That's who he's attracted to. Now, this woman has no name in the text that he went after. She's just the woman. <laughs> She's that woman. But Delilah, we know by name. And if you go after that woman, and you'll probably end up with a harlot, which is the next chapter, and you end up with Delilah, and you betray your very calling, and it costs you your life. But if you want to go pursue that woman, or you girls, you want to go pursue that man, you can. And you can build that life, even though you're consecrated, you had all the godly education, you had all the good reasons, all the good youth pastors, you had all the good leaders, all the people that poured into you. But if you want to go do that, you can. God will let you do that. And you might break your parents' heart, but trust me, there's enough witnesses here, and you get 100 adults together with Christian kids, and they can tell you, <laughs> they're self-determined. Parents can try and manipulate, beg, cry, plead, <laughs> cut off the funds, whatever it takes. But you know what? If they're going to do stupid things, they're going to do stupid things as adults. And if they're going to rebel against the Lord, and you know, here's the scary thing about this self-determination outwork sometimes, especially with Christian-raised kids who rebel against the Lord. So youth, listen to me closely. Because they know a lot of the scripture and they speak Christianese, and we used to say of our kids, not only do they speak Christianese, our kids are fluent in Christianese, they're fluent in Calvary-Chapulese. Our kids not only speak Christianese, they speak Calvary Chapelese. Like they're in the sub dialect, they're fluent in both. So they can talk the Calvary Chapel language, they can talk Christian language, and they can flip that switch all out. Well, they're totally fluent. Like, oh my goodness, they speak. They, so they go to like a Christian college, they can just speak it like, they're like, oh wow, you know, you speak the language. But it doesn't mean anything. And what happens is, as they rebel against the Lord and go after the Philistine woman in Timnah, is they, they twist scriptures a certain way, or if the parents confront them with the scriptures, like Samson's probably did, you're a Nazarite, what are you doing? They, they, they discount that. They downplay that. They find another scripture to go against that scripture, or just like, well, that's mom and dad, you don't even know. You're such white Protestants. You know, a lot of people are hearing that these days. And if your, parent, your kids really want to offend you for all that you did for them, they'll call you angry white Protestants. But you can't take it personal. Because Samson's not mad at you. He just wants to go sleep with the woman in Timnah. And those men will say whatever, you know, Satan said it best. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give to save his life. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give away to when he's in unbridled lust. Jennifer told me I can't say this woman was hot. So I'm not saying she's hot. But I'll say she's a hottie. She's a hottie totty. If something wasn't reciprocated, why would Samson be interested? If you study stalkers, they rarely stalk anyone that hasn't given some sense of reciprocation toward them to lead them into their stalking. Ladies, take note. I've studied this stuff in detail because I've had to deal with stalkers. That's what being a shepherd is. 
Stalkers rarely ever go after a woman that has not reciprocated affection or attention in some way or another. And Samson's no stalker, but he's interested in this woman. And he's gotten probably enough of the, to pursue that. His parents were self-determined. They, so Samson's self-determination was a, was a bad ending for him. His parents, their self-determination was to try and stop him from making bad decisions. You know, his parents, there's no record of their wrong in this, which ought to comfort all parents who have children who don't walk with the Lord. Because they made all the right decisions. What are you going to do? They, they, did, they did the best they could. They tried to reason with their son to just use common sense and please listen to us in this situation. The woman had self-determination. She, she chose to marry an Israelite. That's pretty amazing, right? Like, she wanted to be with Samson. I mean, he's, he's probably handsome. He is a Nazarite. He's got the long hair. You know, he's like good looking. He's in the strength of youth. It's, it's like Samson. You know, and when Samson came down, like all the Philistine guys hate him. Like, dude, there's that Israelite, man. What's up with that guy, dude? It's like the guy from another high school that shows up at your high school and he's the bad dude. Like, he's that guy, you know? And you're like, dude, Samson. What's up with that? And, 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 it, and it's like she wanted to it would seem she was interested in marrying him because when the deal went down, she agreed to it. This is an intermarriage. We talk about this. It's not so much interracial, but it somewhat is. But it's an intermarriage. So you're going to have to figure out the different cultures. Like how, when you come from the family that worships the fish god, Dagon, how's it going to work to marry the guy that, whose god is Jehovah? But they're going to, they're going to work that out. So she's got some determination in that. Her dad did as well. The Philistines had some determination in this. They make choices. So as it played out, Samson goes to Timnah, is attacked by a lion in a vineyard, kills the lion, goes back to it later on, touches the dead body, which he's not supposed to do. There's honey. He takes the honey. He goes to his wedding party, and there's 30 Philistine men there that he's going to like build the bridge with, and now we're all going to be buddies. And he poses a riddle to them about, he gives this riddle about the sweetness and that and everything else. And if you, answer, if you can't answer it in seven days, give me your garments. And then if, if not, then I'll give you the garments. In fact, he said, out of the eater came something sweet, out of the strong came something. Out of the eater, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And they're like, they couldn't figure it out. So then they threaten her, the woman, like you invite us to this whole wedding thing to do this and humiliate us and take our wealth. No one likes everything taken from them, that's for sure. And that's the spin they put on it. They pressure her to betray Samson. That was her self-determination. She sided with these, her community instead of her new husband. So before they're even like in wedlock fully, she sides against her husband, betrays her husband, gets him to reveal the riddle. But he chose to be the smart guy and the cool guy with the riddle in the first place. So he made probably a pretty arrogant decision to do this, humiliate these guys. But then they threaten his wife. And then all goes down. And then 
they answer the riddle, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? But then he says to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, would you have not solved my riddle? And we talk about this Tuesday What a powerful term, plow with my heifer. Like, he, like he's saying, like, you defiled my wife. If you hadn't defiled my wife, you would have never known this riddle. So then he goes out and he kills 30 Philistines from the nearby village. He kills 30 men. He killed 30 people. And later on, he'll, he'll hold himself maybe guilty for that. Because when he kills, a, he, he, he kills more and he says, but this time I'm not to be at, at fault. So in his own conscience, he probably considered himself at fault for killing the 30, but he killed 30 to take their garments to give the other 30 who solved the riddle. And then he goes from bad to worse. It all goes from bad to worse. Then his father-in-law, he storms off. His father-in-law gives her to his best man. Then he comes back to see his wife, finds out that's happened. So he gets his buddies, most likely some of his friends. They destroy the entire crop for the Philistines all their wealth, it's escalating. So then they kill her and her father. But when they threatened her to tell the riddle, they said, if you don't tell us the riddle, we're going to burn you alive. We're going to burn down you and your dad. Evidently, this was popular. We talked about this Tuesday as well. Because remember when the Ephraimites threatened Gideon? He said, if you don't do what we tell you to do, we're going to burn down your stuff. And then they threatened Jeff now the same thing. So evidently, like, if you don't like someone, you just burn their stuff. You burn them alive or whatever. It's a cruel world. The time of judges is really dark. It's a dark time. It's a brutal brutal world. We've had it so good in America, we don't understand what a brutal world's like. There's lots of people in the world right now that know what a brutal world the world is, how cold and callous it can be. So she feared being burned alive and betrayed her husband. But what happened? She's given to the best man, and she's still burned alive. Which just goes to show, you can't be moved by fear, you need to be moved by faith. And she should have just aligned herself with her husband and took the stand because the two shall become one. So she should have, that would have been God's will, to be yoked with her husband, stand by her man, and let Samson deal with these people and the fallout from it. But she betrayed her husband out of fear, and the thing she feared was her downfall, and it cost her her life. But Samson, Mr. Smarty Pants, with his cool joke over everybody and taking stuff from him, he loses his wife, she loses her life, he destroys their crop, and it just escalates. All these things are choices. Listen, they're choices, and they're consequences, and they escalate. Now, you younger people may not understand this as much, but everyone here over 40 and even over 50, you know you make choices and there's consequences. And you wake up and Jesus loves you as much today as he loved you yesterday, but you've made choices and some are very bad and you have many consequences. As Your life is never the same as mine is for mistakes we've made that we can never get back. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient. But let me speak on behalf of everyone over 50. You can't get to 50 and not have certain major decisions that were bad decisions that you regret. And some more than others. And no matter how much your life restores the years that the locusts have eaten, just ask my sister how much sorrow she still has in her heart for things that can never be fully restored. Babies she aborted. Babies she gave away. Relationships lost, photo albums that were never built, dreams that were never attained, nightmares that were persevered through, all the evil men that came in her world and threatened her son, Jimmy, 
and all the, the hurt in Jimmy's life still as the consequences of those evil men. So she wakes up praising the Lord. She'll be at Calvary Chapel, Vero Beach, going to church tomorrow. I'll send a text this morning, praying for Hannah. Have a, I hope it goes awesome. Have a great day. But let me tell you, her heart is still broken over consequences of horrible decisions. Yes, his mercies are new every morning. And yes, his grace is sufficient. But when you cross certain lines, you should not cross that line. You never come back the same. When Samson crossed the line to get his Philistine wife, it was never going to be the same. Now, when he went in the vineyard, he's flirting with no man's land because he's not to drink wine or the grape. When he killed the lion, he was close to no man's land. But when he put that, his hand and touched that carcass and took that honey, he crossed the line. And when he insisted on marrying this woman, he crossed the line. And he kept crossing that line until he was uh, with a harlot and until Delilah cut his hair. You keep crossing that line, keep crossing that line, self-determination, he never came back. So self-determination is very real. And we have to be very careful what we choose to do with our self-determination. And we have to pray that people we love who make bad choices with self-determination would come back from bad choices and make good choices. Amen? Because that's one thing all of us over 50 can agree to, and you younger people as well. That people we love have made bad choices, that they could turn it around and make good choices. Because his mercies are new every morning. And as much as my sister might hurt with all the heartache she caused her son and all the decisions she can't go back and change, she'll wake up praising Jesus tomorrow. And she won't be living behind the Dempsey dumpster at the dollar store in Vista, cursing at lights at 7 in the morning drunk and just being a general problem and nuisance for the community. Our God gives us a future and a hope. And he gives us self-determination. But that sovereignty is an interesting thing, right? Because think about this with the sovereignty. In the story, as it plays out, Samson killed that lion. Then Samson killed those 30 Philistines. And then later on in the next chapter, he kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And there's one thing that connects all three of those actions. And you know what it is? It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Let's put that in the theology box again. Now, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me, you get a better Bible study. When it comes upon Hannah, you ladies are blessed. When it comes upon Jack and Allie, whew, let it go. When it comes upon you, sharing and all the words come to you that you didn't have, good for you. When you restrain yourself, when you weren't going to be restrained, good for you. The Spirit of the Lord came upon you. In his situation... We know in the sovereignty of God that he allowed these things to go this way because in the bigger picture, he's going to judge the Philistines. And you might say, like, why? Okay, so what does God have against the Philistines? I don't know, but it's none of my business. And I'll tell you what, it's none of yours either. They killed babies. They slept with the same sex. They slept with the animals. They're bloodthirsty, ruthless people. They're vile to the core, completely given over to seared conscience and seared mind, like Romans 1 said, and they were done on planet Earth. And if God says they're done, they're done. Israel's still there. The Jews are still there. Star of David flies over Jerusalem. If God says they're still around till the end game, they're going to be around till the end game. 
And if he chooses to let all the different ethnic groups that still around be around, that's his choice. He's God. Who are you, O man, to judge God? There's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. What's God got against the Philistines? I don't know. But there's another lion killer that came along about 100 years later and really put one on the Philistines. His name is David. He killed a lion too. But he said, the Lord killed that lion. And he killed that bear. And he protected me and he empowered me. And he's going to take you down too, you uncircumcised Philistine. And this day you'll know that there's a God in Israel. A greater than Samson came along about 100 years later. And you don't really hear much about the Philistines ever again after that. They were a nomadic people group. We don't really know where they came from. They're nomadic, settled on the coast. People like to think that Palestinians are Philistines. They're not. Palestinians are Arabs. They're not. The Philistines are a lost people group. They just dissipated. Between the Medo-Persians coming in, the Assyrians, the Medo-Persians, the Babylonians, Alexander the Great, the Seleucid Empire, they just, they, just, they just disappeared. They put themselves under God's wrath. And Samson was the instrument of his wrath on this generation, the Philistines. So in the sovereignty of God, three times, and it escalated. First he kills a lion, then he kills 30 men, and then he kills a thousand with the jawbone of a donkey. He supernaturally did these things, and it really happened. These are not Greek mythology. This is the word of God. These things happened under a different covenant, in a different time. But Lord Jesus over all of it, and the Spirit came upon him to accomplish these things. And what the world doesn't want to hear in 2021 is there's even greater judgment coming. Because Romans 1 tells us that, the, that ungodly men who suppress the truth and ungodliness, like those who are trying to rule over this planet, that they're under the wrath of God. The Bible tells us the judgment begins in the house of God and that the shaking begins in the house of God so only things that are solid can remain. And who's not to say all this shaking isn't to get to what's solid and not what remains? Who's not to say that God's not sifting his church in the last two years to prepare us for the return of the Lord? But even if that's not the case, the Lord doesn't come for a thousand years. Who's not to say it's not his right to sift his church in any generation to make it stronger, sharper, cleaner, focused, and more deliberate and absolute and intentional in what it's called to do? Because for sure, I think for, I speak for most of us, we're less distracted now than we ever were before. <laughs> if someone calls themselves a Christian and doesn't have a clear focus on the kingdom after the last two years, I don't even know what to say. But if what human government has done to planet Earth in the last two years doesn't motivate you for Jesus to be reigning in your heart, in your mind, over your marriage, over your life, and your future and your eternity, nothing will. Because if you haven't learned anything in the last two years, let me tell you what you should learn. Do not trust in men. They're evil. Do not underestimate evil in men and do not overestimate good in men. And that's not what people want to hear, but the Bible tells us we're desperately wicked to the core. All of our good works is filthy rags. And we need a Savior desperately. And Jesus is that Savior. And if anything's gotten shaken up in the last two years, it's religion. Religion doesn't save anybody. And a lot of people who follow Christian religion left church. 
because Christian religion is based upon self-serving convenience. But standing in form for Jesus Christ, the gospel and the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and all the promises, yes and amen, that's not religion, that's faith. And that faith stands in China, it stands in Russia, in South America, in Africa, in the United States, and it stands in every generation. And that's the church we want to be a part of. The universal church whose convictions are in the gospel, the word of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit that recognizes good and evil, loves our neighbor, loves our enemies, but stays on point to do what we're called to do and knows right from wrong and doesn't let delusional people demonically deceive, make us make the wrong decisions, contrary to the best interest of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the ultimate mandates that are coming on planet Earth are to silence the gospel. The ultimate mandates in governments of men want to silence the gospel and the word of God. It's not even about anything other than that. In the end, this is all moving towards something where it's to silence your voice for Jesus Christ. That's where it's going. So as Samson needed the sovereignty of God in his life to come upon him to kill a lion, to kill 30 men, and to kill 1,000 men, and by the way, in his death, he killed 3,000. And he was alive to be a deliverer and fight the war. He was a warrior. He's a warrior. He was a Green Beret. He was special ops. He's a Navy SEAL. You and I don't relate to that. But anyone that's been in anywhere near that type of military, we have some military people in this church. And we have people that have been elite and in combat in this church. We don't understand that. But that's what he was. When you do Bud's training in Coronado to be a Navy SEAL, you're not training to make friends with terrorists. You are training to kill bad people, to make the world safe for good people. We don't relate to violent people and, and evil people in this room as much. But there are people that every day deal with very evil, wicked people. And Samson was a warrior to deal with those people who are a threat to God's people and the people of promise and the people of covenant. Again, the context, the Mosaic covenant with the Jews in the Old Testament. So for us, the sovereignty of God in our life is to have the Holy Spirit come upon us not to kill lions, but to be bold as a lion. Not to kill 30 wicked people, but to pray for 30 wicked people. Not to use a jawbone to strike down a thousand people, but to really make time to intercede for people who need us praying for them because they can't discern the right hand from their left hand like the people of Nineveh when Jonah was sent to them. Not to bring down the house of Dagon with 3,000 Philistine lords in a, in a retribution and revenge for our lost eyes, but to bring 3,000 to the Lord like the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That's the sovereignty of God we want in worship generation in the body of Christ, 2022. And ultimately, free will, self-determination, plus sovereignty equals this unknown mystery. In the end, Samson judged Israel for 20 years. That's what he did. And you might say, oh, he could have done this, he could have done that. You know what? It is what it is. Jeff the judge for six years. We have these other judges, we don't know anything about them except one verse. 
They had 30 kids that rode 30 donkeys and lorded over 30 cities. God told us a lot about Samson. And it's there for our learning that there's just some things we're never going to get and never going to understand. There's a bigger picture. And so I just want to close tonight with us realizing our own personal lives, your personal life, my personal life, there's a bigger picture. We have our self-determination and our free will, and we have God's sovereignty over our personal lives. And we have God's, we have our self-determination as a church body, in the Calvary Chapel movement, the body of Christ upon earth. We, we pray, we make decisions as a ministry. Do you want to release this money this way? Why don't we release it that way? Just like you do personally, just like you do in your marriage or in your singleness or with your work or whatever. And then we have a sovereignty of God over us. And then somehow, as we just acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways, we not understanding, we let him guide and lead us and direct us. We want his sovereignty to be moving our self-determination in that which pleases him. And in this bigger picture, who can know what the Lord's going to do? The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children in our personal lives and in the, the human experience on planet earth. So I close with this verse. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him... And through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Romans 11. And then it goes on to say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is our responsibility. That's our self-determination. The, the plan that God has in our life is so much bigger than any of us know, as much as we think we know. The plan that God has for us living during this timeline, whether we're younger or older and we're trying to plan it at 20, 2021, the plan that God has for our timeline is predetermined by the Lord. That's what Paul said in Acts 17. Your seasons and your time, your ethnicity, your boundaries, it's all... It's, so the, the, the key thought is that we use our self-determination for good and obeying the obvious. So we're part of God's plan A and his best plan, not plan B. That we fulfill what he wants to do, whether it's a short life or a long life. And to trust in his sovereignty. You know, I gave a lot of altar calls. I've given a lot of altar calls to the Lord and not have people respond. And once I realized I didn't save anybody, I was good. When I felt like I had to save people, man, I felt like such a failure. You know, it's like to preach for 40 minutes, give this message and an invitation, and there's like 500 people and no one comes forward. You feel like it's a public humiliation. And then I just realized, I don't save anybody. God saves people. They have a choice, just like we do. And then you're free. You're free to serve the Lord, let your light shine. Try to be the best version of you that you can be as you're led by the Spirit. You just keep going forward. And then you know what? You're going to be there last. And someone might be by your side that loves you, and someone may not be by your side. 
my greatest regret is I wasn't by my mom's side. And it was time sensitive. Now, I've been by some other people's side, but I missed that one. We're here and we're gone. Eternity is so real, as is our self-determination, his sovereignty in a bigger picture that's beyond us. So let him work on the bigger picture. Let his sovereignty be over us and let us make very good decisions day by day with what is entrusted to us and stay in our boundaries, in our lane, and not cross those lines. And if we have, let's get back where we belong and make good decisions.